This evening we're going to consider the temptation of Abraham as we continue with our series in the book of Genesis. The temptation of Abraham, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through to 19. Well, turn to that. And I'll read those verses. I suspect this passage is familiar to many of you. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay him. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For I know, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. 
And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Amen. So there we have that passage. It's something that we can barely imagine, isn't it? Abraham being told by God to take his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loved, and to offer him a burnt offering at a place that God would show him in Moriah. First of all, we see that God tempted Abraham. Look again at verses 1 and 2. It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Where it is written that God did tempt Abraham, what that does not mean is that God tempted Abraham to sin. God does not tempt people to commit sin. Neither can people legitimately blame God when they do sin. How often have I heard Christians say that God told them to do something that's clearly unscriptural, like having an intimate relationship with an unbeliever. God told me to do that. You know, and they somehow convinced themselves that God told them to have an intimate relationship with an unbeliever uh, to the end that that unbeliever, that pagan, will become a Christian. But God does not contradict himself. We're not told that we should do such things in the Bible. Even so, even Christians, they, in a sense, blame God when they're doing something which goes against the word of God. What actually happens is that when people sin, they are tempted by the devil or by someone doing the devil's devil's bidding or perhaps they're tempted by something that they've heard or perhaps something they've seen on a screen. Then they're drawn away by the lusts and self-serving desires of their sinful flesh. And that results in the conception and bringing forth of sin, as I'm sure you all know from your own experiences. There was a time when the Lord Jesus Christ was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, where he was tempted, not by God, but by the devil. As such, Jesus was tempted by the devil to commit sin, having been led by God into the wilderness 
And I guess that's something that Christians will no doubt have experienced for themselves. Being tempted by sin, uh, tempted to sin by the devil or by one of the devil's emissaries, having been led by God. They're being tested by God, but at the same time, they're being tempted to sin by the devil. However, unlike everyone else who has ever been born into this world of sin, the sinless saviour, when he was led of the spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil, the sinless saviour was not enticed and drawn away by the lusts and sinful desires of the flesh. Neither was he drawn away uh, and um, by a desperately wicked and deceitful heart. In fact, as the psalmist said concerning the Lord Jesus Christ in Psalm 40, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. And when you read the Gospels, you could read that it was uh, the food of the Lord Jesus Christ to do the will of the will of God. It was his food to do his Father's will. The man Christ Jesus withstood the full force of the fiery darts of Satan, unlike us who quickly and often willingly capitulate and bring forth sin, often the same old sins, time and time again. When we read that God did tempt or test Abraham, I know some versions of the Bible, they don't have the word tempt, they have test. So when God did tempt or test Abraham, don't imagine that the Lord did that for his own benefit. In order to confirm to himself that Abraham's faith was genuine, it's not as if God was sitting on his throne and he, he, he wasn't really sure whether Abraham's faith was real or not. God gives faith. If you, uh, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then praise God because he gave you that faith in the first place. God knows everything and that includes whether someone's faith is genuine. When the Lord tempts his people, the endurance of those often difficult trials brings forth confirmation and assurance, not to God, but to them, to them, to us of our faith when we're tested by God. Fair-weather Christians who have no root, they fall away when they are severely tested and tribulation comes their way. What does a Christian do? Or what, what, one, what would one imagine that a Christian does? He endures with patience and he looks to God to be with him in whatever trials the Lord gives him. That doesn't mean to say it's easy at all, but he knows that he's not alone, that he has God with him, his great God and Saviour. When you think about Abraham's test, the death of a child would be the cause of unimaginable sorrow and heartache for most mothers and fathers. That heartache would surely be multiplied if the death was a violent one. Yet there was Abraham being told by God to offer as a burnt offering his only son Isaac, whom he loved. That sure was some test, wasn't it? 
I should imagine that each of the words that God spoke to him would have been like the thrust of a sword into his heart. And far worse than if he'd been told to offer himself as a burnt offering. Even so, that test was for his good. And he received those words and that test from none other than God. Dear Christian, as can be seen in this passage, the tests that God gives his people can be exceedingly painful. Even so, the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are, who are the called according to his purpose, according to God's purpose. All things, in all things working together for good, include those painful and sorrowful experiences. All things work together for good for them that love God. Secondly, we see the faith of Abraham in these verses. Look at verses 3 to 5. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave or, or chopped the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. According to Abraham's own words in verse verse 5, he and his son Isaac, whom he had been told by God to offer as a burnt offering, We're going to worship. Worship may not be a word that you would have thought of or chosen to describe taking your only son, whom you loved, taking him somewhere, killing him and burning him. To understand better why Abraham chose the word worship in verse 5 to describe what he and his son were heading off to do in Moriah, It's a worthwhile exercise reminding ourselves of some of what had already happened in Abraham's life. When God first revealed himself to Abraham, he made a promise to him. God said, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. You can find that promise in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. Furthermore, God specifically named Abraham's son Isaac as being in the line of that promise. When he said to him in chapter 21, verse 12, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. With all that in mind, what we have here with the test that God gave to Abraham is the God is the God-given faith of Abraham in action. Abraham, who had received the promises of blessings for all the families of the earth in Isaac and his seed. So Isaac, again, Isaac was in the lineage of that promise. We see Abraham's faith in action in that he was trusting God to fulfill his promise of blessings to all the families of the earth through Isaac. 
Although we're not told that in Genesis chapter 22, we are told it elsewhere. In the New Testament, in the epistle to the Hebrews, more light is shed on what was going on in Abraham's mind as he made that journey to Moriah to offer his son Isaac as a burnt offering. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through to 19, it is written, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall all uh, shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Spurgeon explained that Abraham expected that God would raise his son from the dead or do something equally wonderful so that the promise he had he had given would be fulfilled. So when Abraham was told by God, go to the place I'll show you, offer your son, your only son Isaac, as a burnt offering, Abraham didn't dismiss the promises, that the promise that he'd received from God. He believed that God would be faithful to that promise. And so again, as Spurgeon explained, Abraham expected that God would raise his son from the dead or do something equally wonderful so that the promise he had given would be fulfilled. I think that's quite good, really. So it's not saying that Abraham knew exactly what was going to happen. All he knew was that God had promised blessings to all families of the earth in Abraham, Isaac, and his seed, his seed being the Lord Jesus Christ. But Isaac was in the line of that promise. Again, what can be seen in verse 5 is the God-given faith of Abraham, his continued confidence in the promises of God being worked out through his son Isaac. And that confidence can be seen at the end of verse 5, where Abraham said to his two servants, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. So not only is Abraham saying to his two servants that he's going to worship, but he's going to come again to you, or both of them are. Abraham and the lad are going yonder to worship and they will come again to you. Although he didn't really understand, I don't suppose he had a clear picture of what was going to happen on that mountain, he nevertheless said that he and the lad were going to worship and would come again to you, you being the two servants. Clearly Abraham reasoned that he would return from the place of sacrifice with the, with the burnt offering, his beloved son Isaac, intact. And that would have been because he was trusting God to bless all the families of the earth through Isaac. Before we leave verses 3 through to 5, according to verse 3, Abraham rose up early in the morning. Early for what purpose? Why did he get up early? 
early to make preparations and set off on a long journey to a place of worship which would entail him offering his beloved son Isaac for a burnt offering. That's what he got up early for. You might think that of all the days for Abraham to have a lion and give worship a miss, that would have been the day, but clearly it wasn't. I mean, let's face it, we, we might give worship a miss if we got the sniffles or if we've got a bit of a headache or something else is going on, we might give worship a miss. Abraham rose early to go on that long journey to offer his son as a burnt offering. King David was another one who valued times of worship. In Psalm 122 verse 1, he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. As for nowadays, far from being a chore, meeting up in a church to worship God is a time of refreshing. It's a time for encouraging one another. A time of being built up in our most holy Christian faith as we open up and study the scriptures together. A time of praising God for who he is and for what he has done through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we consider his tender mercies, his grace towards us, as we consider the Lord Jesus Christ, who is altogether lovely, and we sing his praises. Also, it is reckoned to have been a 40-mile journey from Beersheba, where Abraham sojourned, a 40-mile journey from Beersheba to Moriah. However long that journey was, it was certainly long enough for Abraham and Isaac and his two young men to have travelled two whole days because we're told on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar off. So he'd already been travelling for two whole days, two days and some, before he lifted up his eyes and he saw the place of sacrifice afar off. Despite the length of the journey to the place of worship, not like us, how long did it take us to get to church? I don't know, it takes me, if I walk, it takes me 10 minutes. If I jump in the car, a few minutes. Despite the length of the journey to the place of worship, Abraham didn't wait until he got there to start looking for wood to cleave, for the burnt offering. That had already been done. In other words, he and his son Isaac came prepared for worship. Without lecturing you, I'd simply like to point out that we have six days to prepare for Sunday worship. Thirdly, God will provide himself a lamb. Look at verse seven, verses 7 and 8. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. 
Isaac asked his father where the lamb for the burnt offering was and Abraham answered, God will provide himself a lamb. With regard to Abraham's answer to Isaac, God did provide a, 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 a substitute for Isaac at Moriah, at Moriah. As can be seen in verse 13, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Look at that, verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. The ram was offered instead of his son. Islam has its own version of events. According to the Quran, Abraham's son was ransomed with a momentous sacrifice. That's what it says in the Quran. We ransomed him with a momentous sacrifice. Momentous means great, a great sacrifice. I've asked Muslims to tell me who or what the momentous sacrifice was. And the answer that I've always been given, always received from them, is that the momentous sacrifice was the ram. Although, interestingly, not even the Quran makes any mention of a ram. But that's the stock answer you will get from Muslims. The Quran speaks of this rat being ransomed, well it doesn't mention the son's name. The son being ransomed with a momentous sacrifice and the answer you will get is that the momentous sacrifice was the ram which they borrowed from the Bible because there's no mention of it in the Quran. I fail to see how a ram can, can be seen to have been a momentous or a great sacrifice. But what I do see in the Bible is that those prophetic words of Abraham, God will provide himself a lamb, were fulfilled about 2,000 years later when the momentous sacrifice, the great sacrifice, the Son of God became flesh. In John chapter 1 and verse 29, John the Baptist heralded the coming of the momentous sacrifice, the only acceptable sacrifice for sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. When John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 19 and 20, it is written that Christ is the Lamb without blemish and without spot, whom God chose before the foundation of the world to redeem sinners like you and like me with his own precious blood. He is the momentous sacrifice where we read, God will provide himself a lamb. That lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. In the immediate context of Genesis chapter 22, a ram was offered in the place of Isaac. But beyond that, in the fullness of time, God provided a lamb. He provided his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the substitute sin bearer, not only for Isaac, but for Abraham and for all who would ever trust in the promised seed, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. What Abraham was asked to do, 
God has done. He has offered his only begotten son, whom he loves. It pleased the Lord to bruise his son and to lay on him the iniquity of all who would ever receive every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Blessings such as forgiveness for sins and everlasting life. There are over a billion religious people in the world who make sacrifices every year as they vainly imagine that they are observing what happened at Moriah, not understanding that it was fulfilled about 2,000 years later at the cross where the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life as the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. As for you, Repent of your sins. Receive the Lamb of God as your substitute sin bearer. He that believeth on the Son have everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Amen.